Well, we're going to go and be back in the book of Mark this morning, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark again, where we have left off last week. We're going to read beginning in verse 33 of chapter 6. Mark 6.33 says, The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Then Jesus went ashore. He saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was quite late, his disciples came to him and he said, this place is desolate and it is quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces, and also of the fish. There were 5,000 who ate the loaves. This is a common story that uh, we have probably looked at several times, but the story has a beautiful way, the longer we look in the Word and walk with Jesus even, of expanding and teaching even more and speaking more about who Jesus is, who we are, what his sacrifice does, how great he is, and how rich he is in every way. And you will see that at this point in Jesus's life, his popularity was high. People were following the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes had not risen up in opposition much yet. His teachings were still just catching the crowd. And masses would run to him, like it says here, even in this first, this, this first verse, it says, the people saw them, the disciples and Jesus going, they saw who they were and ran ahead of them on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. They were excited. It was amazing what Jesus was doing. And these, this, the, all of it, this multitude, was they wanted to be in the middle of it. Maybe it's a little bit like when I was a young guy and I would see an a accident with fire trucks and ambulances and I just wanted to go. And maybe it was somewhat like this with Jesus. I don't know, but it says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And this was this big group of people. We don't even know fully how many this was. And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Let's linger and notice Jesus saw. Jesus, the all-seeing eye of God, saw. 
He saw this large crowd. He saw the outside of this crowd. But inside, Jesus saw even more. You see, because Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees the need. Jesus sees the resistance. He sees the sin. Jesus sees everything. And as he saw this large crowd, the word of God says he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. Now he saw them. He felt compassion toward them because he saw their desperate need. They didn't have a shepherd. They were like sheep wandering around in the wilderness. They didn't know where to go. And he began to teach them many things. Notice the sequence. He saw, he had compassion, felt compassion, and he began to teach them. You see something that, you notice that compassion in this sense is action. It is beyond just a mindset. Jesus demonstrated his compassion by beginning to teach the people who had no shepherd. There's a verse over in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, that I love when we think about the Lord's compassion that Jesus possessed when he was here. For the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is the faithfulness of God. Jesus saw their need. He began to teach, and he was, but he was moved because of his compassion toward the people. It was this week, someone texted me from California, and they said, if you could take one attribute of God and just cling to the one attribute of God, what would you cling to? And I thought, well, maybe compassion. Then I kept thinking about it. And, and so I finally texted him back, love. I think I'd just take love. Because I thought, love will bring Jesus responds in compassion because of his great love. And as we follow this story, we are going to see that the lesson be, goes beyond five loaves and two small fishes. It goes into something so much bigger that it's just exciting together to share into this because we will sense that Jesus is teaching something far beyond the example which he was giving in front of the disciples and the multitude. You know, I think of a story that many years ago I, I read and it always caught me and I've shared it a few times in preaching over the years. It's a story of the old blacksmith in a little village who never believed in God. And if anyone here is younger, the blacksmith was the man that worked with steel and he metal and he got it hot and he would take it on take it a forge and he would shape it a certain way. And everyone knew he didn't believe in God in this little village. And the day came that he was going to die. And the, the community knew he was close to death. And people would go to see the little blacks, old blacksmith. And they'd go and they'd share Jesus and nothing would happen. And someone else would go and nothing would happen. And, and there was that resistant heart that is so common in the hearts of people. And finally, there was this old gentleman that wasn't far from death himself, and he began to pray that maybe he could go. 
and in his heart was this compassion. And one day he went to the old blacksmith and he got ready to speak to the old blacksmith, but he forgot what he was going to say and he just kind of broke down and began to cry. And he said, I just love you and don't want you to end up in hell. And the story goes on that that was what it took to break the, the old blacksmith's heart. He saw the compassion and love of Jesus in the heart of an individual, and it broke his heart. And this story shows Jesus beginning to teach, but then not only did he teach, but then he begins to teach by example. One of the great lessons and challenges of all teachers of the gospel is not only do you teach with word, but by example. And this is what Jesus was perfect at. He taught by example. And as we follow this further, we'll notice, notice with me the, the response of the disciples, though, because this is so much like us, okay? This is our first response often. Verse 35 when it was already quite late, so they're getting tired, everybody's getting wore out, it's late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already late. You notice their response, it's somewhat of a helplessness. It's late, it's desolate, look at the place we're at. Now this was, this was happening on the Sea of Galilee, around Galilee. There's some beautiful places around Galilee. There's beautiful agriculture. There's beautiful crops. There's beautiful settings where you have cities that go into the sea. But there's also places that's very dry. You get over the Golan Heights side where the 1967 war was fought with Syria. And there it was. It's very dry and desolate over there. Matter of fact, as we think of Galilee, we're just a few months off as a group of going to Israel, and I'm looking forward to going on that trip with many of you. There's still a couple little spots left, but there it is. It's one of the amazing places of the Bible. It really is because of its beauty, and it's different. I've been there a couple times, and I thought, you know what I'd like to do is just go back to the Sea of Galilee and just stay there one week and drive off to different areas, but make that home base. Because so much of Jesus's ministry always intersected through the Sea of Galilee. His teachings, his miracles, I don't know, maybe he just would be a little bit like us too. Maybe he liked to hang out at a pretty neat place. I don't know. You know, Jesus was all, all God, but he was also all, all man. And we're going to see something here. The disciples, they start seeing the hopeless condition. Their response in verse 36, because of the desolation, they said, send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You see the response of the disciples was saying, okay, they don't have anything to eat. Jesus, tell them to go find it. Go find, find it for themselves. And so often as you look at this, they first describe the desolation. Then they point to them and say, have them do it and have them go find something to eat. But Jesus always thinks differently than man. He acts differently. The way Jesus taught his entire gospel was different than man. And as we look at this and follow Jesus's response, Jesus in 37, verse 37, he answered them, you give them something to eat. Jesus is saying, you are the, my hands and feet here to give them something to eat. Don't send them away. 
We're not going to do that. And they, they, the disciples said to him, shall we go and spend two, 200 denarii on bread? That would be maybe 200 days wages on bread and give them something to eat. Lord, do you just want us to go out and buy a great big old chunk of bread and break it up? And that was, that's, that was common in those days. And just take pieces of bread and break it up. They were looking for the Lord's provision in a way that they thought he might provide. That was probably the funds that they had to take care of the ministry for the next couple of weeks or days. I don't know. But Jesus, he said to them in verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look, go out. Check out how many loaves you had. And when they found, they found out, they said five, just five loaves and two fish. Now, one, one account of the Bible says that was just a little boy's lunch that he brought the day he came to hear Jesus. And I think that's very special that somewhere that young man said, okay, you can have it. I don't need it. I'm hungry. Take it. And you know, sometimes it's the little children that teach us some very profound truths that we easily can forget. And Jesus, in verse 39, it says, he commanded them all to sit down by groups on, on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And Jesus was amazingly orderly in the ways he as in the ways he worked and the ways he put things together. And he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. Notice, notice where he went. He went beyond himself. He didn't just stop and say, okay, I'll bless, we're gonna bless this food. He says, no, we're gonna bless this food. The, everything of the ministry of Jesus was pointing toward the Father. His purpose in coming into the world was to exalt the Father. In John 17, when he finished his work, he said, Lord, I have finished the work that you gave me to do, and the work that you've given me to do was to glorify your name. And here it was that Jesus, as he gets ready to bless the loaves and the two fish, looks up to heaven, he blessed the fruit, broke the loaves, and he kept giving, it, giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. Now just think about that, what that would have been like to sit there, and maybe you're back in the crowd in, in an area 10 times larger than this, or 20 times packed, packed down in these little groups. What's he doing? Oh, he's got his little bag. What's he doing? He's got his disciples. They're just breaking the bread. Well, what are we going to eat? What, they've been through one group? How much is less? I don't know. It might have even got bigger. What do you mean it's got bigger? It has to get smaller. Now, Jesus, as he is doing this, is teaching us a lesson that goes beyond the lesson. This is the way Jesus often did. The lesson that he teaches wasn't the end, but it was a lesson that we need to remember as we respond to Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus first did to the disciples when they said, look at this, it's desolate. He goes, I want you to go and do. I want you to do what I ask you to do. Many times when Jesus is going to produce something mighty, he's going to ask us for a simple response of obedience to his word. 
it may sound foolish. It may sound absolutely ridiculous. You have, many of you have been there. He has called and says, I want you to do this. And with the disciples, they'd already sized up the situation, but now they're breaking bread because they said yes to Jesus. There's a verse over in John chapter 13, verse 17, when Jesus was te te teaching another lesson about, the, about washing feet. And there he was washing the feet of the disciples in the upper room shortly before he was going to go to the cross and give his life. He just gave a little special gem of a verse when he said, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you know, you are blessed if you do. Now, there are two important truths in the Christian life when we think of this. One is knowing. We need to know. We need to hear Jesus' voice. We need to understand what Jesus is saying. The second is doing. Sometimes in the Christian life, we disconnect the two and make them like two little gears that are spinning independent of each other. But that is not the, the, the heart of Jesus. He wants God's people to both know and do. He wants them to leave the nets and follow. He wants us to hear his voice like the disciples were being called to do and do what he is asking them to do. You know, oftentimes what Jesus is asking isn't, it isn't something we can't do. It's just something probably our first thought is we don't want to do it. We're like the disciples. It's a desolate place. It's, it's late at night. We, want the, we wish that something else would be there. And you know, Jesus has got an amazing sense of humor. I'm amazed at how Jesus can interrupt our little plans by just, will you do that? We say, well, yeah, but uh, I've got a big week, Lord. And Jesus has an amazing way of just touching. And I believe even with the disciples, some of them are probably sitting there going, okay, think of my week. We're out here, let's get this done so I can get back to what I've got to do. And we're back to the miracle and the five loaves and two fishes. Now, if you notice as, he, as he's dividing them up in verse 42, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. Notice what happened with something so little. So small, satisfied everyone. Is Jesus teaching us here that that which seems so insignificant to start can be so powerful in the future. It can multiply into that which we can't even imagine it can do. You know, even I look at the early church, it takes off out of Acts, and all you've got is a handful of people that said yes to God. We've been placed in many countries where we'll wonder, well, how did it begin here? You know what it was? Just a few people who said yes to God, and God took something so small, and like the loaves and the fishes, he multiplied it and multiplied it. Notice what it did. Not only did it reach all the people and no one was left out, but it satisfied everyone. And was Jesus teaching a truth here that what he was bringing not only would reach way beyond what we could ever see, but it would provide complete and perfect satisfaction in Jesus Christ. There would be no want that's why David, like in the Psalms, could say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. He was already seeing this as David the king. 
Notice this then, what happened? They, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces, pieces and also the fish. You notice what happened? Not only did it reach everyone there, not only did it completely satisfy, but notice with me what happened. It overflowed and there was more for somebody else. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus does. Not only does he simply supply and provide, but it overflows and it blesses others when he does the work as he was doing right here in Galilee. Now notice this says there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Different ones at the last service said, you know, we have no idea how many people really ate. And that's really true. It says there were 5,000 men that ate those. How about the little children, the moms? They didn't have daycare. They didn't have no way. They're just there too because they're running to hear Jesus. But notice how something so small went so far and satisfied so many. You see, that's what the cross does. The cross may look ever so insignificant. It may look ever so small in the eyes of someone, but it reaches so far. And not only that, it satisfies so many. When we partake of the Lord Jesus and his life by faith in him, there is nothing else we want. We have been filled with him. And when we're filled with him, it's like this glass, this bottle of water. When you get to the top, you can't put anything else in there. You add more water and it just comes over. And that's how the, the 12 baskets full would be. They flow on out past where the need ever initially was. And I believe there's also a teaching here that Jesus was beginning to teach the disciples and those listening, you're to be my hands and feet. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you were never intended for the, the blessing was never intended to be hoarded up with yourselves. It was intended to be shared and spread so other people could be satisfied in so many ways, in so many places. And it's amazing how God does that. There's a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 9. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap also sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. You notice where God wants the response to come from? Not compulsion, not because I'm afraid of God. He wants it from our heart. Each one, as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written. He has scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And Paul was teaching when you in Macedonia give such little offerings from your heart to God's glory, it will spread and spread and spread and multiply in so many places. What is, what is it to us here today? You know, sometimes I think it's just someone, one of you choosing to pray for someone today that God lays in your heart. For someone else that's choosing to be a mentor to a, in a difficult situation. For someone else that's choosing to be a listening ear. 
for someone else here in this congregation, it is choosing to simply get up and do what you know God told you to do, even though you really don't want to do it. And this is what Jesus calls us to as his disciples. But notice what happens when this happens. The blessings just keep going. It not only completely feeds, it even overflows. And there are much, there's much more because there's a secret that Paul writes in Corinthians. He writes it through the word of God. Jesus taught it. You'll never outgive God. It doesn't matter where we go. We can never outgive God. But there is a great lesson here that I love, and that is just a simple lesson that I, I just want to come back to, and that is Jesus is saying, I am your provider in every circumstance. Wherever you find yourself, I will provide. I will use five loaves and two fishes to teach you how far they can spread. But I did it. All I ask you to do is respond in obedience. And I will multiply that in the way I choose so there, it will just abound. You see, the gospel is still going out. It is still spreading. It's spreading to other parts of the world. It's spreading throughout America in places we may not even see it. Because someone is saying yes to Jesus. And Jesus, I believe not only this teaching, but I believe you are the provider. And I will follow you and do what you say. Verse 45, it says immediately, so all of this is over. The disciples are watching this and, and the people were in awe and now they were full and here goes Jesus, if you notice. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethesda while he himself was sending the crowd away. Notice with me, me one little phrase here. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. I don't know whether it's just them saying, you know, Jesus, we just want to hang out with you. But Jesus says, no, you get in the boat and I'm going into a mountain. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. You see, Jesus, we find this earlier in this chapter. Jesus was both all God and all man. Now that is very large to comprehend that he could walk in the flesh, get tired, wore out, deal with every temptation we deal with, and yet at the same time, he was the son of God who longed for communion with his father that had been from eternity past, and he sought that for strength. And each one of us, I know if you've walked with Jesus very long, you have found such a necessity in finding that place of communion. God has placed a little place of communion in this church sanctuary for me. And no one ever knows when I get there. I just have found a little hole and I will go before God there sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 15 minutes, sometimes for an hour because God lays it on my spirit that I need to come back to him. We can never go to him, others, until we go back to the Father. And this is what Jesus was teaching as he begins this. If you notice, though, with me, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, there's a verse in 1 Timothy 3.16 that we want you to look at. It just says, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. The entire sum of who God is is a mystery. 
If you look at this, he says, he was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And it's this mystery. We just can't quite figure this out, except we believe by faith. And here we're seeing Jesus now as God and man, off with the Father in communion. Verse 47 says, when it was evening, the boat, this is where the disciples were, was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone in the land. Now, a lot of times we probably say, well, that's how far out was this? Now, the Sea of Galilee really is just one big lake. Now, it has several names. It has uh, Genesaret, it has Tiberias, and Galilee, all the same sea. They call it the Sea of Galilee. It's only 12 miles long, 7 miles wide. At the deepest point of the Sea of Galilee, it's only 43 feet. It's not very big. It's very beautiful. One of the things, though, that we're going to see right here is Galilee sits on a, above, uh, just to the south of a, of a mountain, a great big mountain called Mount Hermon. And off the top of Mount Hermon can come windstorms that come sweeping down in that sea, and that sea becomes exceedingly tempestuous quickly. In 1988, I was on a pastor's uh, tour there, and I was speaking on Galilee. And here came, just as we were at the storm in the Bible, here came that wind. And just like this, everything changed. And all those disciples were in was this little teeny craft, just a little tiny boat like you'd see in some of the lakes here. If you've ever, you ever been there, they're just little makeshift boats. They were so simple in many ways. But the word of God, Jesus was teaching something else. He was showing that he's a provider, but we're going to see something else that he begins to teach them. First, Verse 48, he sees them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. He again saw, Jesus saw, he saw the disciples. He saw their outward condition, the wind was against them, they're pulling against the oars. But something else Jesus was seeing. And Jesus was seeing again the heart, which we'll see as we look at this again in a window. He came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass by them. Now they were walking, Jesus was walking on top of their greatest fear at that time, the sea. And here he was coming to them. But when they, the disciples, saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. There they were, fearful. They were saying, what's that? And it was Jesus simply walking on the sea. Walking right over the top of their greatest fear at that time. You see what Jesus was seeing? Not only was Jesus seeing the disciples struggling with the oars against the current, Jesus was seeing the condition of their fearful heart. And he knew that within the heart of man was fear that was struggling in a time like this. But I, but I think of something else so beautiful when I think of Jesus and how he does this and the seas that Jesus walks on in so many ways in our life is here is the sea and Jesus was simply saying, I am the master of the storm. I can walk on any water at any time, at any place, and we can conquer. I am the master of the storm. And this is where Jesus, these disciples were as they 
And notice when they saw him walking the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, but here comes that fear, for they all saw him and were terrified. They weren't looking for Jesus. Fear was gripping their heart. And he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And here it was that fear was the very controlling power in the inner heart. You know, there's a lot that can be drawn from this, but the Lord here just touches an area that is important we linger on for just a minute. And it is that little lurking sin of fear. And sometimes, you know, one time I was going to preach a sermon on the five most accepted sins among Christians. And that's one of those, one of those kind of my list. Didn't do it. I usually stay expository, but, but fear. And Jesus is pointing to it right here. That they saw a ghost. They were terrified when they, they thought they saw a ghost. They were terrified. They saw the water. It was bigger than them. Now water, look at this. The water is only 43 feet deep. I believe the deepest place in the world where water, water is is out in the Meridian Trench, which is 35,840 feet deep. What's amazing about that is the water is deeper. What you can't see is even deeper than the highest mountain in the world, which is Mount Everest at 25,000 feet or 28,000 feet. And just look at this. Here, down there, they could not see. But it doesn't take that kind of water to bring fear. It doesn't, it doesn't take 43 feet of water to bring fear. Sometimes when we just get it right to here is a temptation for fear. It depends who you are, probably. Some of you could probably just keep on swimming out there and others of us. But I think of the song that Zach Williams wrote in the last couple of years, and it is so powerful and profound. And in his chorus, which I just jotted down, what he wrote and sings, it says, fear is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear is a liar. He'll rob your rest. Steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire, because fear, he's a liar. And Jesus was teaching that lesson right here. When, when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. They were terrified. And then the words of Jesus came again, it is I, be not afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. He came in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been 48. That would have been 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. So it's just about the time dawn is coming in. Here comes Jesus. He comes and gets in the boat with them. But notice what happened. They got in the boat, and they were utterly astonished. But notice something with me. They really didn't say they believed. It said for in verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the instant of the lows, but their heart was still hardened. Have you ever just looked back on in your Christian life and just wondered, wow, it's amazing how many how long it took me to see that? You read it. Maybe for me, I preached it. We thought it didn't, I just didn't see it. And sometime there was the light. I believe God does that even today. The light hits. I, I think of Jesus as he left his disciples. He said, I, I have a lot of things I want to share with you, but you can't even bear them now. But when the spirit of truth has come, he will turn on the light. He will guide you into all truth. And that's how Jesus was. And remember this about the disciples. It shows you that they were men too. 
They had witnessed such a profound miracle, but their heart was still hardened in something so amazing. Maybe someone here is dealing with something like we do in our family, and maybe you have a grandson or a friend that's still resisting God, and you don't understand it. Why could they be so hardened? Remember, Jesus doesn't give up. Just like with the disciples, he went from this one miracle to another. He doesn't give up, and he doesn't want us to give up either. He doesn't let go of us, and he says, I don't want you to let go either. No matter how difficult that situation is, believe that I am the master of the storm. But there's something here that another take home when we think about Jesus being a complete and perfect provider. Here he is speaking of, I am also a very strong protector. I will protect you. There will nothing that will ever come against you that you will not be able to overcome through me because I'm your provider. You know, a lot of times we think, well, I, I, maybe as you're young, a younger guy, I think I'm, I'm probably the provider. I'm probably the protector. But the Lord must show us all that he is the protector. He keeps the church. He keeps the soul. He keeps the body of Christ. He even told Peter, you're Peter. But upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Never. I will build it. I will do my work. I will protect. And Jesus is an amazing protector. Every once in a while, we see someone in the Bible who would rise and see this great, powerful God in an amazing way. One was Caleb, 85 years old, for any of you that might be just a little more in the senior place of life. When you think about it, it's amazing that Caleb was able to look and go into the promised land and come back in the midst of total unbelief and say, I believe that God will give us this land. We're going to go in because it's not us going in. It's God through us. And this is what Jesus is speaking about here. You couldn't calm that storm, but I can calm the storm. I can keep you from whatever it may be. And here is these disciples learning of the provision of God. We want one, one more simple lesson before we close. We'll just wrap up the chapter and we'll see it. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and moored to the shore. And here they're coming to the land that they called Genesaret, but is tied to the, the Sea of Genesaret. The Sea of Galilee was also called the Sea of Genesaret. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, okay? Jesus was a very popular figure at this time of his teaching. And they ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on those pallets, those that were sick, to the place where he was. Wherever he entered, villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that he might just touch the fringe. They might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. Get the picture as best we can with me that Jesus is going back in the villages and hundreds and probably thousands are dragging people to Jesus, laying them before him, little cots, little makeshift methods of support 
that they just wanted the touch of Jesus and they knew they would be healed. It is a beautiful story of something that Jesus teaches throughout his entire ministry that we find here, and that is not only am I your provider, not only am I your protector, but I'm your physician. I am your doctor, your spiritual doctor. I am the one that not only heals the outside, I heal the inside. I do, I work because I see the inside, I work where others cannot work, and I do what others can't do. We had this couple that came in a congregation we were in back in the um, back in the eighties in California. They were Caesar and Anna Robles is their name. They came from Puerto Rico, had a real simple faith, and we just enjoyed the years. We were able to fellowship with them, and one day, um, one night, late at night. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call from another pastor and he said, Caesar is really sick and he wants uh, the the leaders to come out tonight, lay hands on him, pray for him. And I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding. You know, he's not that far from the the hospital. But we all went and there's four or five of us guys and we laid hands on Caesar. And, but I remember what he said right before we laid hands and prayed on him. He said, you know, one thing I've never understood about the American church is when they get sick, they go to the doctor But in Puerto Rico, when we got sick, we just went to the Lord first, and that's why I called you brothers tonight. And it was a great lesson for me then, and it's still a great lesson today because it is a lesson that just keeps on going when we think of Jesus stating, no, I am your physician. Don't forget that. It is we're going to have a time in a moment when we're going to have an opportunity. Anyone can come up for prayer. And we have watched healing take place. We have, we've heard testimonies from many of you of things that have happened from the time of prayer here or in the sanctuary or in a hospital or home. God heals in many ways through prayer, through the hands and feet of other people. But it is so important we, we, we remember that Jesus, in the parable, the lesson of the loaves and fishes, is our provider. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of you. For you young people going back to school, he's going to take care of you. Look to him, believe that, and God will take care of you. Not only that, he is the great protector. We're going to have storms. They come in all kinds of ways. We don't expect them, just like the disciples. The the wind comes, the sea gets very difficult. But Jesus is a protector, and we can trust him. And on top of that, more I think of this, he is also that perfect physician. He touches just the right place. He works in his time. He works in his way that he receives the glory. It'll be his touch. It won't be too hard. It won't be too soft. He gives us exactly the prescription we need when we look to him. He's an amazing God. And in just a short, just a moment, we want to have prayer, but I do want us to think about this in light of the text today. That there may be a place in every one of our lives that Jesus has spoken to us today that we would believe in him and trust him more completely. That we would be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I, 
I want to enter into your presence more full here. I, I get fear easily. Or I, I get doubt easily and want to send other people away and come to my own conclusions. But today is a day to surrender our lives to Jesus again. And I don't know what that looks like to each person here. It may happen right where you're at. It may happen this evening. Or it could happen in this altar. Because there is a place that for every one of us, he comes to us with his word, he teaches us again, and he challenges us and calls us out to something to do. Oftentimes, it's not a bunch of things. Usually when the Holy Spirit is speaking, he's speaking of one thing. And we probably know what it is right now. And he's simply saying, I'm going to ask you to come just like the disciples, just like the multitudes, and believe in me, and I can do what you can't do. Not only can I do what you can't do, but I can cause it to completely satisfy and multiply so other people will be blessed beyond what you could even think about. So I give this to you to think about, to pray about, and if God moves you, as we said, there will be some up here for prayer after as the worship team is coming up for one more song. And, and just don't let go of those truths. The enemy wants you to, but you hang on to those truths in the word of God and you can stand strong in the day and age which we live. Just don't let go in your heart. Believe by faith. God, you are my provider, my protector, and my physician, and I will not let go. By faith, I will believe regardless. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your provision the amazing ways, Lord, that you take such simple things and teach us truths that we keep cont continuing and learning from, Father. Like the disciples, Lord, there's times that we have saw, we have heard, we have shared, and we still didn't believe. Our heart was still hardened. Lord, I pray, though, that if there is a heart here today that is you're moving within to believe, possibly for the first time, Lord Jesus, that that heart could be open to you just today and say, Lord, I believe, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. Oh, Father God, I pray that you will just uh, take this little church even that we call Calvary Surprise. And as we by faith believe in you and follow you, Lord, may you multiply the offerings and the sacrifices and the healings and the blessings that flow from this body, both now and forever, Father. May you receive these offerings to your glory and praise. And may you guide and lead this little flock, your children, as we follow you to show us impossible things that are only possible by your amazing grace. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.